This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Okay, so we are still in our series um, on tough questions. We're taking a break from Hebrews, which means I am also taking a break from the Hebrews um, Hall of Faith. And I get to answer one of these questions tonight. Does anybody need a Bible? No. Okay. So turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. We will be camping in verses 1 through 10. And I'll see if I can't keep my Bible from falling off this stand while I flip. Give me big cheesy grins when you get there. There's one. Okay, I'm not there yet. (laughs) Thank you for that. Okay, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'll give you all guys a little bit more time. Good job, Noah. Okay. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Now, that is our main body of text. We'll be, we'll be camping there this whole time, so whether, keep, keep a finger there. Now, our main question is a question that, that maybe you've asked yourself. I know I have. Um, it's a place that sometimes you turn to in sin and shame when you feel guilty. I want to answer it only biblically because this book is our sole authority if we're going to call ourselves Christians. The question is, why would God want to save someone as messed up as me? The question is full of insecurity um, and doubt. And um, it's a question that I, I think isn't accurate whenever someone asks it. When someone says, why would God want to save someone as messed up as me? What they're really asking is, can God save someone as messed up as me? Can he save someone as sinful as me? Is God actually able to redeem my sinful past 
I feel utterly out of his reach, and I'm afraid that I truly might be. Can God save me? So I'm here to tell you tonight that he can. He can, and he wants to. My goal tonight is, um, in answering this question, uh, firstly, I want to give you an accurate diagnosis of, of what is messed up. What is it that makes you feel the shame? What is it that makes you feel guilt? And then I want to show you God's grace. I want to show you the reason that he can and that he does save. So if you're taking notes, our first point is going to be someone as messed up as me. And our second, can God save? So the, se- the second half of this question, the someone as messed up as me, is what really presents our, our, our issue here. This is, the, this is the plot of the movie. This is, um, this, this is where the bad guy has, you know, the, the good guy tied up or whatever, you know. This is, this is the issue that must be resolved. See, when, when you look at uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it talks about this, this, this state of sin. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's talking, it's, it's painting a very clear picture here that you were, you were dead in your trespasses when you were in sin. Or if you aren't saved, you're still dead in your trespasses, which should be scary. And who were you serving at that time? It was the prince of the power of the air. That's, that's Satan. So have you felt that way? Have you felt dead before? Have you felt this, I'm so messed up? Sin is why. Sin is the diagnosis. And dead isn't something that we can fix, is it? Once, you're, once you die, that's it. That's it. There's, no, there's nothing in your power that you can do after death to do anything to your body. It, it's a picture of hopelessness. It's, it's the hero seems like he's miles away. The villain is already laughing. It's, this is about to roll credits and no salvation. But just when hope seems lost, you look over at verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And just like that, ex machina, boom, the hero is there. He's just, he was never far. It just seemed like he was defeated. No, he is the savior. When all seems lost, we find out that the hero was never defeated. This brings us to the first half of the question. So as this is a two-point sermon, we're already through point one. Can God save? An emphatic yes, God does save. He can save. So we're gonna look at why and how. This is, it's his grace that saves God's grace saves us. That brings us from death to life. It transforms us and it elevates us. So look back at the text, Ephesians 2, starting in verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, sorry, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The text makes these three um, with him statements uh, that describe the grace of God for us. These are what we're gonna be kind of focusing and dialing in on. It's made alive with Christ, raised up with Christ, and then seated with him, um, in, or seated with him in Christ Jesus, it says. That is, enthroned with him. Our first, the grace of God saves us. That makes us alive with. See, it says, um, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. God takes those who are dead and by his grace resurrects them. This is that immediate death to life breath popping into their lungs whenever they're saved, whenever they're justified. Formerly, we were dead. There was nothing that we could do about that. And in that dead state, we were destined for God's wrath. That's why it tells us there, by nature, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, if we were by nature de like destined for wrath, if we were sinful, if we were dead, why was he able to do that? And this is where we can, we can look to 1 Peter 2. I don't know if that's one of the ones I have on the screen or not, but 1 Peter 2 is easy to find. It's there, 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. It's the work of the cross. The work of the cross was his just magnum opus of grace. That death bore our sin so that we could be made alive. Let's continue looking. Jesus stepped into our place of wrath. He made us alive. He made us justified. Alive is no good if you're not justified. What he did was he took away the death. He took it away. He bore it on himself and then made us legally no longer bound to God's wrath. No longer are we sitting on the railroad tracks waiting for the train to hit us. He removed us from that. God has the power to graciously save sinners, even who are dead and opposed to him. He saves them and this is not done by their own work, nor can it be undone by their own work because if it could be undone by our own work, let's be honest, we don't do it. We'd immediately lose our salvation right after getting it too. But uh, turn to Romans 8. This is, this is worth flipping to. Romans 8, 38 through 39. It's probably a familiar little chunk of text for some of you. Big cheesy grins as soon as you get there, please. Okay, I've got enough smiles. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is reassuring for someone who's looking themselves in the mirror and recognizing that they're messed in the depths of sin, you can recognize that if you're in Christ, 
There's nothing, no height, no, no, no depth, nothing in all creation could separate you from his love. We cannot lose this grace. God saves sinners through the substitutionary work of the cross, the work of his own son, Jesus. And he loves those who he saves. He draws them in and will never let them go. There is nothing that can separate them from his love. And let that comfort you beyond questioning. Let that make you secure beyond doubt. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not even you. No matter how messed up you were, no matter how messed up you think you are. But praise God because there's nothing that can be done. He doesn't stop merely at making us alive, but he also transforms our life. This is, this is, um, this is one that, that just wows me. Um, he, we're going into our, our second point of our second point. So the grace of God transforms us. Because it goes beyond God raising us from death to life, like it says um, there in Ephesians 2. You can probably flip back. We're gonna be looking at it again soon. So Ephesians 2, it said that he made us alive with Christ. And then it says, raised us up with him. Now that sounds very similar, but there's actually a little bit of distinction there. The made us alive is a direct death to life. But the raised us up speaks of Christ walking out of the tomb. This is not just the act of resurrection, but it's the act of continuing afterward. See, I'm losing my place now. So like Christ walked out of the tomb, so we don't just wake up from death, but we actually step off of our deathbed and walk out as well into a new life. And this life is as opposed to the former deadness as well as life is opposed to deadness, uh, as, as opposed as fire is to water, as opposed as, as light is to darkness. This is a, an entirely opposite lifestyle from the death. See, grace not only awakens us, but it empowers us. Um, look at verse 10. Uh, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we're called to do good works that God ordained for us even before we accepted and had faith in him. He's got, he's got the work cut out for us. It, it's not like he, he, he wakes us up from death and then throws us to the wolves of the world. No, this is him coming up alongside of us and empowering us by his grace to walk according to what he had already ordained we would. He empowers us. Um, Titus 2 clarifies this. If you, um, it's, it's, again, it's worth turning to. Uh, if you're in Ephesians, go right. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and you'll get into five different T's, that's Thessalonians 1 and 2, Timothy 1 and 2, and then Titus. Titus 2, that is, you're looking for. Titus 2. Okay, oh, I've got a smile from, from Alex. Okay, we're reading. Titus 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's what we just talked about. Training us to renounce ungodliness, 
worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearance, sorry, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right there, the, the salvation appears. It's extended to us all, should we accept. But then it continues, it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. It, it's beautiful because we fight sin. We, that's, that's our constant battle is sin. But as believers, as the newborn Christians, as babies in the faith, we're not defenseless with sin. The grace of God truly does equip us, it trains us, and it convicts us, and it, it, won't, it won't allow us to stay with sin. We no longer operate as the one who is just messed up. We're not in that dead state of mind anymore, but it kicks us into high gear. It makes us push through. It trains us. It makes us like him, where we become zealous for good works and for righteousness. Um, in the, in the metaf- metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly, um, metamorphosis is a, is a word that, I, that doesn't usually work with me too well. It comes out like a lot of Fs and not enough vowel sounds. Anyway, okay, moving on. A caterpillar, of course, crawls around along the ground all of its life um, until one day when it spins this cocoon thingamabob, it goes in there, and it doesn't just sprout wings and come out. The entire thing falls apart, like molecularly. It turns into goop it, and then restructures itself. It comes out an entirely new thing. Like, this is not just an addition to what was. This is a recreation. Beginning to see the parallels here. You guys who are in Christ, you are not, you are not sinful you plus something else. You're a new creation in Christ. The grace of God has taken you and has broken you down from what you were and has made you something else. So where a caterpillar that once crawled along on the ground in the dirt and ate leaves and grass now flutters around beautifully, glorified, and consumes sweet and rich things. And it's the same way with you. You're called to operate in an entirely different way, empowered by grace, where you don't consume the same things you did before, you don't walk the same way you did before, you don't look the same way you did before. I've lost my place again. This is gonna be a constant battle. Second Corinthians, we're getting, we're getting training and, and flipping around tonight, guys. Second Corinthians, so if you went to Titus, to, that was the right of Ephesians, we're gonna go to the left of Ephesians. It's usually easy to find Romans, and then both Corinthians are directly after Romans. 2 Corinthians 3, looking for verse 17 through 18. Smiles when you get there. You, you there? Awesome. You didn't smile at me. So... Okay, now I feel bad. Moving on. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Um, at, the, at the end of Jesus' ministry, he talked to the disciples and he told them that he would have to go away, but that this was a good thing because the helper was coming. The helper that he was talking about was the Holy Spirit. Just as much God as all the rest of the Godhead, part of the Trinity that now remains with believers at all times. The grace of God that sustains you through your life, that empowers you, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that sticks with you and that transforms you into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You're no longer who you were because of that that is with you at all times. So God's grace is powerful enough to bring us from death to carry us through life. And finally, we'll see that it seats us in glory. Our third, the grace of God elevates us or it puts us with him in the heavenly places. Back to Ephesians 2, 6 through 7. But God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The grace of God, it doesn't just bring us from, from death and through life, but it brings us right up into heaven. And if that weren't enough, just being in heaven weren't enough, God's grace seats us next to our Savior. And it crowns us. We're seated with him. Next to his glory. It, guys, that just doesn't make sense. Like, this is probably just the prideful, prideful me has gotten too accustomed to hearing about the grace of God. I hear about the grace of God. It transforms us from death to life, right? And I've heard about how it, how it brings us through life, how the Holy Spirit changes us. And, and it, it's like that caterpillar to butterfly. I've heard that a hundred times. But, but this right here, this is what gets me. This is what doesn't make any sense to me. It makes no sense that we should be seated alongside our Savior. It is an amazing grace that we would be able to be with Christ, that we would be counted like Christ. We'll get into it. This act of grace truly makes no sense. To crown me in the same glory, it makes no sense. Um, it, it, it truly, it's, it's that part of the grace that makes me ask the same question. Why would God save someone as messed up as me? And we'll see that that question, why would God want to save someone as messed up as me, becomes more and more serious as you see what grace intends to do with someone as messed up as us. We just came from Romans. We're going to go back. Romans 8, 15 through 17. You guys are doing great. Let me know when you're there. 
Romans 8, 15 through 17. Okay, here we go. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom, oh, sorry, of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We're adopted by God's grace. As, as God's sons and daughters, they, his intention is to glorify Christ in heaven. And it's his intention to glorify us as well. Um, if we look just a few verses ahead, his intention to glorify us as well. It says, um, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, us being those who are his kin. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's God's plan to glorify us. And that blows my mind. Even saying it out loud, I just it doesn't make sense. Um, but, but a crucial part of this verse says, um, if children heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, and then right at the end he throws in, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, provided that we suffer with him. Why would it throw in provided that you suffer with him? Like in this talk about grace, I don't want to hear about suffering. Suffering doesn't seem like a grace. It's because we're looking at suffering wrong. See, whenever we think of suffering, all we can think is pain and, and, and punishment or torment, but it, it's because our Lord suffered. Our Lord suffered for us. And if our, if our express purpose in this life is to, is to become like him, if the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that gracious deed towards us is to make us like Christ, then we'll be like him in every way. Even in that we suffer and we persevere through suffering. We suffer for our faith as sons and daughters of God, knowing that the first son of God suffered for us and was brought back to life and then was glorified. Don't believe anyone who will ever tell you that becoming a child of God means that your life will be easier. That's not God's intention. His intention is to make you Christ-like. Christ-like in all of the honor that Christ receives, Christ-like in wisdom, Christ-like in, in goodness and in righteousness, and Christ-like in suffering. Our faith, the reason that we're in buildings like this, the reason that we have Bibles that are beautiful and accurate, it's because of people who suffered. It's because of people who were, who were Christ-like and quiet in the back of the room instead of giggling and It was people that passed the baton of faith dying, suffering. I'm reminded of the grace of God in, in Peter's death. And there's, there's all kinds of things surrounding 
the, the apostle Peter's death, um, that may or may not be true. Some people say he was hung upside down, that his, his daughters and his wife were killed right before him, but he wouldn't relent, he wouldn't re- reject Christ. But what we do know is that he was crucified. And, and we do see at the end of, I think it was John, at the end of John, um, Jesus tells him about the fact that he will be martyred. The fact that for the faith, Peter would die. And I'm, I bet it haunted him his whole life. I, I bet there were nights when he woke up shivering, n- not knowing when it would happen, wondering exactly how it would happen. But I bet he went to sleep peacefully after a little while of thinking because he knew that if he was going to die for Christ, then he could live again with Christ. That if his destiny on this earth was to suffer and die like Christ, that he would be glorified with Christ. Suffering is one of the greatest graces of God. Because if we suffer for Christ, we will be with Christ. Peter's assurance of suffering was his assurance of heaven and of the fact that, like Romans 8 says, he would be a fellow heir with Christ. The grace of God is immense. The grace of God that sustained Peter through the entirety of his life and through a horrific death that he dreaded is able to sustain you and me through anything. There is nothing that could keep me from being united with Christ in glory after death because it's not my power that will get me there but God's gracious strength. My suffering in this life only reminds me more of the grace I've given, of the grace I'm given because enduring pain for Christ's sake makes me think of the pain Christ endured for my sake. So I know that when I suffer, it's because I'm his. And if I'm his, and I'm an heir with Christ and a child of God. Turn with me to John uh, 1. John 1, 12 through 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The fourth book in the New Testament. We're looking at verse 12 through 13. First, no, sorry, John 1, chap, uh, John chapter 1. Verse 12 through 13. Cheesy grins? Okay. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, talking about Christ, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become, sorry, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I'm skipping ahead again, losing my place again. The Lord has given us the right to be adopted, to be seen as righteous as Jesus was. To summarize these, 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 these three with him statements, it's the effects of grace are our resurrection from the dead, the transformation through this life, and then it's elevation to the place of sonship and daughtership. No one's ever brought from death to life whose path is not transformed into godliness and self-control 
for Christ's glory. No one whose life path has been transformed is not adopted into the family of God and made an heir with Christ. This magnificent work that brings us from the depths of dark death up to the throne of heaven is done all by grace alone. And I wanna conclude not ignoring the, the first question because it's very important. I did change it a little, but it's still very important. Why would God want to save someone as messed up as me? You're, you're at First John. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, it's not just your parents doing, but of God, of the will of God. We're born not of blood. It's not about, it's, it's not about just something that our parents did a while back. This, this rebirth is being made alive. It's a work of God alone, a work of his will alone. Um, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna turn back to Exodus real quick because we can do this. I think we have time. Exodus, go way back there, Exodus 33. Exodus 33. So God has just brought the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He's brought them through the wilderness, across the Red Sea. They're at Mount Sinai. And God calls Moses up and he gives them the law. And it's about that time that the people of Israel at the base of the mountain start worshiping an idol. For no reason at all, they make an idol and start worshiping it. God is livid. And he tells Moses, Moses, I'm gonna kill everyone and start over with you. And Moses begs him not to. He begs him, Lord, you're, you're gracious. These are your people. Please don't do it. And he doesn't. And you're like, okay, what, what is God doing? He's changing his mind. Is that what's, what's going on here? And, and then immediately preceding that, he, re, he reveals his his character, and it's, it's beautiful, so track with me. Moses says, Lord, please don't do it. He intercedes for his people. And then immediately after doing that, God says, you found favor with me, I'm not gonna do it. And then Moses asks, will you let me see your glory? Will you let me look at you? It's almost as if, like, like God, it, please prove to me that you, that you mean it, that I found favor in your sight. Please prove to me that, that you're really gonna spare us all. And so, so God tells him, you, you can't see me. You'll, you'll die if you look at me. But I'll let you see somewhat of my glory. I'll let you see some part of my glory. He says, I'll pass by and you'll look at my back. And so uh, verse 19 of chapter 33 says, and he said, this is God, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And if you skip ahead to chapter 34, um, verses six through seven, it shows the actual event. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And just as an aside, that seems scary at the very end there, that visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, and it's like, oh, that's scary. But he only says to the third and the fourth generation, whereas keeping steadfast love and faithfulness for thousands, that's thousands of generations. The mercy of God far outweighs. But that's just an aside. He's asked for proof. God, please, let me see you. And God says, I, I, will, I will let you see me a little bit, a little bit, so you don't die. And what he says to him when he lets him see him is what really, really seals the deal here. He says, the Lord, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Because what Moses was really getting at here was, God, I, I want to know if, if you're a man of your word. So please do this thing for me. He goes, no, 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 no. Beyond just doing this thing for you, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to tell you something of myself. I'm going to let you know what, it, what is the glory of who I am. It's my character. And the, my character is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God doesn't just say, I will be gracious. He says, I am gracious. I am loving. Of course, of course I'll do what you ask. His character is perfect. His mercy and grace have no end and his justice cannot be stopped by the wicked. He shows grace to whoever he wants and shows mercy to whoever he wants. So why did he show you and I grace? Because he wanted to. Because it's part of his character. And to show the good perfection of his character. He saved someone as messed up as you and me. God loves to make his character known to his people. And giving grace to whoever he decides is the best way for him to show his glorious character. We have become children of God. John 1 said, we've not been born by anyone's will. Being children of God is not because your parents wanted you to be. It's not because you wanted you. It's because God wanted you. You don't need to continue wondering why, but instead rest in just knowing that God is gracious enough to call us his children. We are encouraged and empowered because God can save us. And we leave why he saved us up to him. Have you ever held back from the call to be saved because you feel unworthy? Because the thought of you being messed up is at the forefront of your mind. Look, your, your worthiness, your worthiness does not get in the way of God's grace. Your worthiness is not what he says is required for salvation. Trust in him. He's gracious enough to outweigh you whether you're worthy or not and to just redeem you. Romans 5 verse 6 comforts us in this. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God's grace is greater than your unworthiness. 
Or have you held back because you didn't understand it? It just doesn't make sense to you. Never heard that before. I just don't get it. I don't know why he would, so no thank you. Understanding is not the requirement for salvation either. Understanding is, God doesn't expect you to understand it before accepting it. He just says, take it because it's great because you could never do it on your own. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Thank God that he doesn't require us to understand things beforehand. Thank God that he is all that is necessary for salvation. We would never be allowed into heaven if it were up to our understanding. God's grace is immense. It empowers us. It strengthens us through this life. It quickened us from death. And it's gonna seat us with glory, seat us in glory with Christ should we persevere. Which again is only by his power. We need to only trust his power. I love you guys. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for being a God who is good and gracious. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is stronger than we are. Thank you, Lord, that by your grace, you bring us through this life. Lord, thank you that you intend to, to glorify us. Lord, we could never deserve it. Strengthen us, Lord, to understand and to seek and to strive, God, for a Christ-like life and for a life that reflects his character and his suffering, his goodness. We love you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.